the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5, verse 30. John chapter 5, verse 30. This is how my Bible reads. I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus speaking. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures. Because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If, I come in, if another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So all of us know, either instinctually or, or we've been taught, all of us know that when we do something that's wrong, say we wrong another person, that we should repent. We should say sorry, and then we should try to make amends. We should try to make things right with that person. That is pretty natural, and that's good. We should recognize that when we see that we've done something wrong, we should try to make it right. That is natural, and it's appropriate. Something that's way more difficult, however, 
Way more challenging is when we do something that we believe is good, or say we do something that we believe is good for someone else, and it becomes clear that we need to repent of that thing, make amends for that thing, turn away from that thing. That is way harder to do. And actually, this can create much more enduring conflict between people when both people are convinced that they're operating in a way that's really good, and yet that comes into conflict. That is the recipe for broken relationships when both people, when both parties are convinced that what they're, is, what they're doing is good. Let me just give you an example. Say you have a great gift for someone that you really appreciate and you plan the gift and you're going to give it at a really big birthday celebration. You, uh, you buy the gift. It's based upon like this shared memory that the two of you have that you both have talked about since that period of time. And you both have laughed about it a great deal. It's pretty expensive, but you're like, it's going to fit so perfectly. And it's going to fit so perfectly for this period of time. You stretch so that you can afford it. And you're like, man, this is going to get a great reaction. It's going to be perfect. There's going to be a part in the party where, you know, the, the one who's being honored, it's their birthday where they open the presents. And so you can't wait you wrap it up, you've prepared the whole thing, the whole day your stomach is like fluttering because you're so excited for them to open this up. You're doing something good and generous and thoughtful for this person. So you lay it carefully in the back seat, maybe you surround it with pillows, you know, so it's not gonna get harmed. You drive to the party and you wait the whole time for the time where people are gonna be opening, where this person's gonna be opening presents and they get to yours and you're like, oh, this is wonderful. And they unwrap it and they look at it and you expect that they're going to laugh and embrace you, but instead, they don't think it's funny. They think that you're trying to embarrass them. It doesn't land with them. And so they just move on without even really saying thank you. And then they look at you funny and they seem really hurt. And the next day you see them and things are weird between you. You talk to a friend, they're like, yeah, well, they were really embarrassed. They don't like that you were making fun of them in front of everybody. And you're like, no, what I was doing was good. This was a good gift for them, but they don't receive it that way. That is the sort of thing that's happening here with these Jewish religious leaders. These are the situations that can be the most difficult for us. How do we make amends when we've done something good? You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we repent when we're certain that the thing that we're being confronted about is something good? It's been a few weeks since we've been in the Gospel of John, so I just want to catch us up to where we are right now. We're in the second part of John chapter 5. At the beginning of John chapter 5, Jesus performs a miracle, and then he follows that up by explaining what that miracle is about. And both the message that he gives after the miracle and the miracle that he performs come together to demonstrate the fact that Jesus is God, that he's equal with the Father. The miracle and the message that he gives both point to that same reality. Jesus recognizes that he's equal to God. But the fact that he's performed this miracle has frustrated some of the religious leaders. 
leaders. And they've come up to him and they've said, hey, when you healed, you healed on the Sabbath. That means that what you did was bad. And so instead of receiving the miracle as a gift from God, which it was performed by Jesus Christ, who was being testified to as God through that miracle, they said, this shows that you are not someone who keeps and follows the law and they're opposing him for it. And so now, as Jesus moves here to kind of giving application after he's saying who he is, Jesus is bringing Old Testament accusation and Old Testament accusation against these Jewish religious leaders. They're assuming that they're good because they've exercised acts of righteousness. And they're saying that Jesus is bad because they said he broke the law of God by healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus says to them, And he says to us, by extension, you've got to repent of all of the good things that you've done. And that sounds wrong, doesn't it? You've got to repent of the good that you've done. You're probably like, Pastor, I think that you misspoke. We've got to repent of the bad things that we've done. We've got to keep the good. The good is still good, right? Well, let's look together at the passage and let's realize that because of who Jesus is, we've got to give up anything and everything else that we're trusting in place of Jesus and receive him instead and worship him and him alone instead. This passage talks about two things. It first tells us about the witnesses to Jesus, about who Jesus is. And then it tells us where the religious leaders go wrong and the the ways that they've gone wrong. And so we're going to walk through these two parts of the passage. First, The passage starts with witnesses to Jesus, and Jesus here is saying that there are three different witnesses to the nature of Christ Jesus that the Jewish religious leaders should have seen and believed. He calls on three witnesses to to just testify to who Jesus is. So the first one is John the Baptist, and you might have noticed that's the first one that he Mentions, He says in verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness about the truth. That's what he says first. The first witness is John the Baptist. The Jewish religious leaders should have first believed John. They recognized that his ministry was filled with this weight of expectation, with messianic freight would probably be the most technical way of putting it, but they recognized, and it's recorded for us at the beginning of the book, that they saw that there was something special about the ministry that John was, was doing. And so they sent people out to ask John questions, and they actually asked the right kind of questions right away in the book of John, the gospel of John that we've been reading. They asked, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? They were asking, are you these specific individuals that we believe are going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one that we've been hoping for all of this time. And John testifies that he's not the Christ. He testifies, he bears witness. He's like, I'm not the one that you've been waiting for, but I am here to prepare the way for him. He says that he's a voice calling out in the wilderness. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah that tells about the one that's going to come to save Israel from all of her sins. So John's saying, I'm preparing the way for the one that you've been waiting for and hoping for. And then he says, and that one is Jesus. 
John's so convinced that Jesus is the one that they've been looking for and hoping for and waiting for and praying for for generations that John sends some of his disciples over to follow Jesus because he's like, that's the one you should be following. That's the one that you should be listening to. John testified to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and the religious leaders did not listen to him. He demonstrated clearly who Jesus was and the religious leaders would not listen. But Jesus says, that's not my only witness. That's not the only witness to my authority. If you're questioning my authority, if I'm on the defense here, I've got another witness that's even better. Jesus says, I don't depend just on human testimony. My second witness, my second witness is God. My second witness is God the Father. John's testimony was important. It demonstrated the messianic nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus had a more important witness, God the Father. And you can imagine that he's really wowing the crowd now. If he's in like this courtroom setting where he's calling on witnesses to give testimony about who he is, the first witness is pretty good. The second witness is way better. Your first witness was John. Who's your second? All right, my second witness is God. I'm going to call God to the stand second of all. And if you're ever wondering who the best witness is that you could possibly have testify on your behalf, God would be it. You can't find a better one than God. He says, God the Father is the second one that will bear witness about me, that will give testimony about who I am. Jesus is noting that if they saw his work rightly, they would realize that it was speaking of the fact that he had been sent by the Father. He had healed on the Sabbath. Not to undermine God. Not to undermine the Father, but to do the work that the Father had given him to do. He was opposing these religious leaders, not because he was trying to undermine the work of God, but because the Father had given him that work in the first place. Everything I'm doing, Jesus is saying, everything is to honor the Father. And the Father is able to be the witness to the truth. He's saying, you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to the Father. And this is where he says some sharp words for these religious leaders, but you don't know him. You don't have his love within you. You can't hear him. You don't see him. You don't know the Father. Because if you did, you would understand that Jesus was sent by him. And then Jesus calls his third witness to demonstrate who he is. And it's maybe the most surprising witness. Because it's the one that the religious leaders were certain was in their corner. The third witness that Jesus calls is scripture. The scripture to testify about who he is. And the scriptures we need to understand. Now, as, as he's saying, you know, the scriptures are talking about me. Jesus is referring to the whole Old Testament. None of the New Testament had been written yet at the time that Jesus was saying this. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, would write down these words and they would become the, the scriptures for us, the gospel of John. But at the time Jesus is speaking, when he's referring to the scriptures, he means all of the Old Testament. He says, the scriptures bear witness. The scriptures testify. Now, this would have been a surprise. If we're in a courtroom here, this is the point where you could hear gasps. It would be like calling the prosecuting attorney to come and take the stand. It'd be like examining the prosecuting attorney. These, these, uh, you know, these religious leaders thought, yeah, the, the, the Old Testament, the scriptures, these are the things that are going to attack Jesus for us. We're coming after you, Jesus, because you broke the law. And so the scripture is going to be the one that condemns you. It's going to be the one that lays out the case against you. And Jesus says, oh yeah? Well, scripture, why don't you get into the witness stand here? Who do you accuse? And then the incredible surprise. 
is that the scriptures look out and they say, I accuse my client. I accuse the religious leaders. Because Jesus is saying, if you had understood the Bible right, you would have realized that it was all about me. He said, you've been searching the scriptures because you want to find eternal life and you totally missed that it was talking about me the whole time. The religious leaders are saying, hey, we're bringing the scriptures against you. You broke the Sabbath. You're going to answer for it. Jesus says, oh yeah, well, let me bring the scriptures against you. They've been talking about me the whole time and you've missed it. And you've missed it. You know, every year there are all manner of, of study Bibles that are, that are published I was talking with a, an executive at a publishing house a couple of years ago, and he was telling me, you know, the majority of the books that we publish, the majority of books that we print actually don't make any money or they lose money, sometimes relatively substantial amounts. But he said, but every time we publish a, a study Bible, that thing will be bought in huge numbers and we will make enough money to be profitable and to cover all of our other publishing wants or desires. Our study Bibles will fly off the shelves. And so there's you know, just a multiplicity of study Bibles that you can buy, and some of them are great. Some of them are really helpful. Some of them have study notes that might make things really clear for us. Some things might, uh, they can be great, and don't miss that. But, but having said that, some of them can bias us in unhelpful ways. And we can read our study Bible and think, oh, well, the Bible is, it's really about how to help me be a man, or it's really about how to help me be a woman, or, or this this study Bible will help me realize that the Bible's helping me to live well or to be a good environmentalist or to be an American patriot. And if we're not careful, we can read the Bible or we can make use of our study Bible and we can make completely the same mistake as the people that Jesus is confronting in this passage. We can read the Bible and miss Jesus. We can search the scripture and try to find eternal life and completely miss the way, the truth, and the life. We can use the Bible to a means, to an end. We can use the Bible to make us wise or wealthy or whatever else and miss the whole point of it. It's about Jesus. Jesus here is telling us that both the Old and New Testament is all about him. The way Augustine said is that, the, that Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed. He's in the New Testament revealed. Both, all about Jesus. Please don't miss him. Please don't miss Jesus in the Bible. It almost sounds silly saying it. Please don't read the Bible and miss Jesus. But we can do it. And that's exactly, exactly what these religious leaders have done. They've gone astray. And Jesus said that their character demonstrates the fact that they've gone astray. And he notes three things that they are you know, that, they're, that they've made mistakes about. Three ways that their character is sort of illustrating the fact that they've missed the point of the Bible. He says, first, they appreciate fame rather than humility. Second, they give each other glory rather than giving to glory to God or seeking the glory that comes from God. And third, they're actually accused by the very thing that they're trusting. Let me read this second part of the scripture and I'll just show you what I'm talking about. So, verse 30, I'm gonna read verse 39 through verse 47. And you can look along with me if you want. Jesus is saying to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. That's him calling his third witness there saying, hey, that thing that you thought was going to be your witness, no, it's talking about me. And then he goes on. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. That's the first thing. They're trusting celebrity rather than Jesus, who's coming in, in, uh, in humility. Secondly, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? That's the second one. They're looking for glory. They're looking to make a name for themselves. They're not seeking the glory that comes from God. And last, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? That's the last one. The very thing that they're trusting is that which is accusing them. Here's another way to put it. They're enamored with celebrity. They want attention and to advance themselves. And they're trusting the law, and yet it's the very thing that's proving that they are not keeping it well enough. They're enamored with celebrity. They're enamored with their own glory in advancing themselves. And they're trusting the wrong thing. I think that this is so relevant. This is so relevant. The three ways that the religious leaders are demonstrating the fact that they're not, that they're missing the point of the Bible. The first is they're enamored with celebrity. So Jesus says, hey, I've come in my father's name. I'm not coming sort of advancing my own name. And you're like, yeah, forget you, Jesus, coming in the name of the father. I want to, I want to receive the one who sort of announces his own name when he comes into our midst. That one that has the, the big name, the name that people are going to recognize. That's the one that we're welcoming into fellowship. We care about that person, not you coming in your father's name. Man, isn't that the way of things now? Like if a person has a large enough platform, we're like, that person must be worth trusting. Beware, beware of the appeal of the celebrity. The second one, they want glory for themselves. And I think that these religious leaders would have like excelled on Instagram. You know, they would have just been wonderful on Instagram because they would have posted all of the ways that they were fastidiously keeping the law and each other, they would have given each other all sorts of likes and shares and mentions. They would have developed a massive following because they had this very image conscious way of going through life and they got a lot of glory for it from each other and yet they didn't seek the glory that comes from God but the most striking thing that Jesus says here is yeah but you're and and last of all you're trusting Moses and he's exactly the one that's condemning you. He's exactly the one that's accusing you. The very thing that you're trusting is the thing that's drawing you away from eternal life. The very thing that you believe is going to make you right is the thing demonstrating that you are not right, that you need to come to me. Moses was telling you all about me, Jesus is saying, and you missed it and wanted the law instead. This is really something. And this gets at what I was talking about at the very beginning. All of these religious leaders were fastidious in their obedience. They were so careful in all of the ways that they would obey. They were so careful to try to keep exacting specifications about the law. And they would actually multiply restrictions to make sure that they weren't by accident tripping in in one way or another. And some of those are recorded in John chapter 5. They wanted to keep the Sabbath. So they're like, all right, so in order to keep the Sabbath, let's make sure nobody picks up a mat. Nobody picks up their bed and walks anywhere on the Sabbath. They're adding to the law to try to save themselves. And Jesus is saying, that is the thing. That is the thing that's telling you that you haven't kept it and that you need me. That's the thing that should be driving you to me and you're missing it. 
they weren't able to see that far from their bad being the thing that was preventing them from coming to Jesus, it was the good things that they were doing that were preventing them from getting to Jesus. And this is just really off in the way of things. This is the way that things are for us right now. If we recognize or realize within ourselves that there is something wrong in us, we will be more apt to run to Jesus and say, heal me, cleanse me, fix me, make me right. But if we're trusting in something apart from Jesus and we're like, and that thing is real good, it's real good. So don't you criticize me for that. That might be the very thing preventing you from coming to Jesus. It's so often the case. It's the thing that I see over and over and over and over. And my heart is so burdened by it and for it. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the things that, that, that makes me the saddest is when one of my friends from, you know, like grade school or high school or college or seminary, when one of them turns away from Jesus, and it's a trend right now. Deconversion is a trend right now. It, it's like the thing to announce that you're no longer a Christian or no longer kind of like connected to the historic church. It's, it's a trend. And within, um, within my class at, at Westminster Seminary, it wasn't a very large class. I graduated with not very many people. And there are, there are two who have publicly deconverted and have announced that, that they're no longer following, uh, following Jesus. And one made an hour and a half video about his, his like path away from Jesus and about how now he finds transcendence and political engagement and the, the, the striking thing about all of it is that these were the two students that were most often held up as examples in my seminary because they were the most active in wanting to promote this or that theological notion that was in vogue. They were the most committed to finding their righteousness and loudly demonstrating the fact that they were committed to these theological positions or points. What I'm saying is they were the best of us. It's not like they were the worst of us. They were the best of us. And it was their goodness that kept them away from Jesus, not their badness. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook answering seven hard questions that Christians ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.